Hi, this is Carol, and welcome to Speakerman Speaks Retail, where we navigate retail from now to next through my latest retail trajectories and interviews with industry experts who help us chart the course. If you tuned into the last episode or followed my media contributions lately, you know that I'm calling 2023 the year of the store. Brick and mortars where so much of the action will be this year, and predictions of the demise of stores have been greatly exaggerated. But if you ask my guest, he might say the same holds true for malls. That's right, malls. But even so, the owners and operators who run them have largely been left out of the e-commerce economy. My guest is determined to change that. Peter Tonstad is the CEO of PlaceWise, a global leader in real estate property technology. The PlaceWise mission is to create long-lasting digital relationships with shoppers and unlock the power of retail properties to monetize beyond the square foot. PlaceWise serves over 1,100 shopping centers across three continents through more than 1 billion shopper engagements every year. Prior to PlaceWise, Peter served as a chief executive for diverse digital media, finance, and music companies with a focus on digital transformation. So it's really great to have you on the show, Peter. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Carol. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. Well, this is such an interesting topic because there's so much happening with these properties and with malls. And by the way, when we talked before we started the interview, we were talking about malls and shopping centers and mixed use, so many different terminologies out there. Just for the sake of simplicity, I think we can just settle on the term malls, if that's okay with you. Sounds good. Sounds good. So I'll start off with the big elephant in the room. Are malls dead? Well, that's certainly been the headlines in the news the last few years. And obviously, our purpose is to help malls become future-proof, resilient. We track the data as much as we can. There has been projections over the last few years. There was a projection from Credit Suisse back in 2017 saying 25% of all malls in the U.S., would shut down over the next five years. You had Coresight saying that, yeah, similar kind of numbers, 25% of shopping centers would go away over the next five years. Reality is when we track, there's a list on Vicky, actually, over 1,400 notable malls in the US. And the reality, there are only 7% of those that have actually shut down from that list initially being recorded. And that goes all the way back until 1828. So there's a long history there. Yes, there has been some acceleration the last few years. So the last sort of three years, we've seen 40 malls roughly being shut down since the pandemic broke out. But that only counts to them sort of less than 3% of the total volume. So it's nowhere close to the predictions that were made five, six years ago. It's more like 10% of the worst case scenarios that were then presented. And then in the meanwhile, we see some new developments of magnitude in the US, huge developments coming up. So yeah, it's a mixed picture. And also referring to to stores, the last 12 months or 2022, 5,000 stores opened, 2,500 closed. So the net gain is, is, is quite substantial. So it sounds like you're saying that the more dramatic numbers just really aren't playing out, that the attrition really just isn't to the levels that were predicted. Well, certainly not so far, at least. And expectations are now very different, I would say, because post-pandemic, everyone has seen that shoppers, they love the combination of physical and digital. But as soon as they were able to go back to physical retail, they were flourishing in numbers. And both visitation and also occupancy rates have been really healthy uh, the last 12 months. So I don't think we're really seeing 
those kind of predictions that we saw five years ago now. I think it's a more recognition that it's a combination of physical and digital retail, which is the winning formula for the future. Well, and, and speaking of the combination of physical and digital, you know, I've been saying that malls are no longer just places that have brands. They're actually becoming brands themselves. But that digital component's really been missing. So how does PlaceWise fill that gap and what does that look like? Yeah, so first of all, I, I believe very strongly that digital is the core component to actually get the brand relationship between malls and shoppers because typically that relationship sits between individual stores, the brands that are tenants at the mall because they have the relationship with the shoppers over there through their sales and their digital programs and so on. So by introducing a digital program at the shopping mall, meaning you start then giving shoppers access to benefits and unique offers that would only so they're only available to you if you actually opt into the mall program. In exchange for opting in, you also say, yes, I'll, I'll share my data. You will be able to reach me through multiple marketing channels. But that then establishes a direct relationship between mall and shopper that never existed before. And then the main purpose, the way we see it, is to make sure that digital reach or, or the magnitude of those relationships become as big as possible. And we like to measure that as share of physical footfall. So if you have an number of visitations throughout the year, you want to look at what kind of unique visitation do you have by behind the gross sort of 12-month visitation numbers. That determines how many wallets you actually have to target in your your mall throughout the year. And on average, our clients are able to convert 30% of their physical visitation over the first three years. And then the growth sort of it doesn't evolve linear for the unforeseeable future, but it still keeps growing. So our best clients will have more than 70% digital reach in their physical footfall, which is absolutely mind-blowing, I would say, if you're in the industry and, and own the shopping center or a mall. So from that purpose, they then have a fantastic foundation, a fantastic digital reach, where they can then really build their own brand into the shopping behavior and the minds of the shoppers. And we see that happening more and more. And when you run a digital program, branding is extremely important. I think uh, if you look at the brand example in the US, for instance, the block in LA, which is obviously a very attractive property with a lot of things uh, going on in terms of events and different things. But that's just one out of many examples where the branding of the mall makes a big difference. So it sounds like the lack of digital outreach in the past maybe has compromised or at least sort of hindered the ability for properties to have direct relationships with shoppers. Yeah, because there was no real purpose of having a direct relationship because as a shopper, you enter the premise, you directly start relating to the tenants. In best case, you might sort of go to a concierge or a help desk just to to get help to find the right sort of way to individual stores, but, but that was more or less it. And then you were responsive to marketing in general, but there was no direct relationship at all. So it's that initial handshake between the shopper and the mall, which is key to all of this, there has to be a purpose of having a direct relationship. And typically digital makes that happen because once you do digital outreach, you do digital marketing, there has to be offers and benefits that resonate well with the shoppers. And that will be the reason for engagement. And based on that engagement, you start building the, the brand relationship as well. Well, is the goal to get more shoppers to visit properties or is it to get the ones that are already on those properties to spend more Or can you be really greedy and ask for both? (laughs) (laughs) You should. (laughs) Well, it depends a lot on the nature and where you are in the sort of life cycle. When we work with new developments, they typically engage with us 12 months before 
or even earlier, but at least 12 months before the property actually opened. So we start then recruiting shoppers to the location that hasn't even opened. And that will be on the on the promise of something exciting happening, of course, but you want to be the first to know. You're going to be the first to get access to pre-events, pre-offers, all kinds of activities that can be can be stacked uh, to generate interest. And then once the mall opens, the typical track kicks off where you just want to convert as much of your footfall as possible. But obviously, then you have a starting point. You actually have a digital reach as a starting point to then start uh, influencing people to come to your new new shopping center or mall. So. If you're an established mall, you've been there for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Yes, you still want to put in an effort to recruit more shoppers. But first of all, it then becomes about engagement. How can you influence shoppers to come one more time throughout the course of a week or a month? And when they're there, not at least shop more, eat more, get more entertained and so on. Speaking of shop more, eat more and so on, so many properties are being repurposed and reevaluated and even just torn down to the ground and rebuilt. And as part of that, the diversity of tenants is really expanding where you've got retailers and brands, but also entertainment and restaurants and even residences. How do you manage all of that complexity with the work that you do? And is it a good thing? Yeah, I mean, we're seeing that a lot. And I believe that's at the core of of making malls more attractive because they obviously have to reflect the interest and the demand of the shoppers at any given point of time. So there's no set formula for what the ideal shopping mall looks like. It all depends on the preference for the shoppers at the given point of time, you might say. But definitely the the trend is, yes, more F&B, more entertainment, and not at least more services. The things you actually have to relate to might be doctors, dentists, uh, hairdressers, and so on, but, but things that you typically use in your life over the course of a week or a month. So that's important to maintain relevancy. Uh, When it comes to digital, for us, it doesn't really matter if it's a service provider, if it's a food or drink offering, or if it's a retail offering, because what we want to do is to engage shoppers on behalf of the property in total. So we would then approach all assets, all tenants with the same kind of value proposition saying if they supply exclusive offer and benefits that the shopping center, the brand, the shopping center program can then start promoting. They will gain by seeing inbound customers, inbound conversions on on their side. And the logic here is they are at the mall for a given purpose because the mall obviously generates more traffic in combination than they do individually. We believe the same logic applies for digital. All tenants typically on a given mall location will have their own kind of digital program to some extent. Obviously, the big retailers have comprehensive programs. Smaller have uh, have more limited programs. But on average, they all all typically have something in in 2023. If the mall can then aggregate the biggest possible number of shoppers in their catchment area in digital form, meaning digital reach, they will always have bigger digital reach than individual retailers. Even the biggest sort of national retailers in the US break it down to individual catchment areas. They will always have a smaller piece of the pie than the shopping center or shopping mall when they start accumulating 10, 20, 30, all the way up towards 80% of the shoppers as direct digital relationships. So then you obviously have to play all the things you can, meaning really lean on the on the F&B providers, the service providers, and not at least the retailers in a sort of optimal mix, also in digital channels, as they've strived to do in the physical location. Talking about data sharing and that initial handshake, On one hand, it's really hard to get shoppers' attention these days, but they're also wary of sharing personal information. 
So how do you get them to opt in and agree to that initial handshake? Yeah, that is the big thing because obviously, yeah, shoppers have endless choice, no doubt. And data privacy, which is becoming more and more regulated in in US, it's still mainly California, but it's evolving. And we work a lot in Europe where we have GDPR as the foundation. And we really like those structures because it kind of separates the the good from the bad in the data of uh, or the world of data. And yes, initially, you have to give shoppers a good reason to opt in. And the only good reason to opt in is to get a proper sort of money value in return or something you wouldn't get access to if you didn't opt in. And then the trade-off is to say, yes, in, in that aspect, just to mention is what we see really makes a difference is what we define as instant rewards. So in difference from a rewards or loyalty program where you typically accumulate uh, points or other structures to gain over time, instant rewards is there and then. You actually, you're at the counter in a given store and you're exposed to marketing saying, if you now opt into the mall program, you'll immediately get 15% discount on whatever you're buying, as an example. And that obviously triggers shoppers. Who wants to just leave 15% discount on the table? You obviously want to grab that as much as you can. And then the trade-off is, yes, you have to create your initial profile. You have to agree to share your data. And from there onwards, the tech kind of takes over. And it's uh, all about the quality of content in exchange for leveraging technology to be relevant for the shoppers or at least segment of shoppers. So where does it go from there? And are they sharing unique preferences, individual preferences, or is it just a standard sort of boilerplate, fill-in-the-blank type of experience when they opt in? Yeah, well, typically when you opt in, yes, depending on choice of our client, because the more you ask from the shoppers, obviously the bigger threshold to opt in as well. So there's a trade-off there, which you have to be wary about. But on average, you typically ask the shoppers to give some feedback on their personal preferences as they opt in, which gives them guidance to sort of be relevant from the offset. But then From there onwards, it's all about behavioral tracking. So what do people actually respond to? Where do they, what kind of brands do they actually engage with? Where do they actually do their conversions? What kind of events do they actually attend and so on? How do they respond to content in social media on behalf of them all? And all of this accumulates into the behavioral data, which then ends up being rather than, rather than thinking that each individual is treated separately. It's typically segments of shoppers with preference for certain brands. High activity levels versus lower activity levels, people who live close by versus people who live further away, all those kind of tactics. Well, and I'm sure that leads to your content marketing strategy, which I know is a big part of what you do. What kind of content are you serving up to these shoppers and how do you know when it's working? So the criteria when we then kick off with a given mall is to engage with all the tenants locally. And then depending on their structure, we will then get assets from tenants or retailers on location, or it might be from, let's say, regional structure of that given tenant or brand, or it might even be at the national level. But the criteria that we set as a requirement to participate in the digital program on behalf of a mall is that any content shared has to be exclusive for that location, meaning this wouldn't be typically all the retailers just promoting their general spring sales, because that's widely available in any case. There's nothing unique about it as such. Yes, they can have great offers, but marketing-wise, it's it's all over the place. So what they need to do is then put exclusive offers and benefits on the table for distribution in the digital program of the mall exclusively. And typically to make that attractive, that sort of 
main sales seasons of the year might not be the most attractive seasons to promote the exclusive stuff because there's too much going on in any case. But outside of those, I mean, Black Week, you don't want to do anything exclusive on the mall side in Black Week because it's uh, overflooded with uh, with offers in general. But in all other parts of the year, you can tactically always get something unique in perception and in actual terms. And that's what we need from the retailers. And I mean, on day one, that's a big ask. It's not easy to make happen if we sign a new mall anywhere. And on day one, they have zero digital reach. And you go to the tenants and say, please give us exclusive offers to promote the digital program of the mall. Then on day one, they will maybe say, come back when you have the actual digital reach. And then there's obviously a discussion about how these things need to be built, how everyone will benefit over time, and that we need these assets to kick off as well. And then it becomes a outcome where typically in our stats, sort of 60% of tenants will agree to be part of this in early stage. And then it's just scales from there. Well, a lot of what you've talked about seems to be more of a cumulative effect. How do you address things like pop-up shops and temporary retail? Are there benefits there and do you have to take a different approach? There is, uh, if you see it from a mall perspective, if you are attracting pop-up tenants, as an example, they would very often use the fact that they have a digital reach to become attractive also for pop-up tenants. Obviously, this goes for long-term tenants as well. But if you're a pop-up tenant, you pay a certain amount to have the maximum effect over the course of a week or whatever the time period is. And if there's an opportunity to get visibility through the digital database of the mall upfront and during and and kind of after a pop-up event or or residency, then that makes a huge impact to the value of the pop-up tenant. So there are many, many ways that you can tactically leverage this this digital reach and and the consumer database on behalf of the mall. And we typically see it now flowing into more and more business cases on on our client side. And we also see this now flowing into leasing contracts where sometimes our clients actually require tenants to actively be part of the digital programs. They commit to a certain amount of uh, exclusive content. They commit to a certain amount of exposure in the physical location and so on. And then over time, that sort of contractual commitment isn't really needed because the value is given. So no one wants to not be part of it. But uh, to kick it off, we, we see that those sort of commitments obviously will make a difference and, and make things move faster. Well, it would seem like any properties that have a more mature relationship with you, with PlaceWise, that actually becomes a selling point for any new tenants that all of this is already established and they benefit probably from day one. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. We see examples of clients of ours who who tell us that they've been negotiating a new tenant, might be a very attractive brand. The brand is uh, evaluating properties up against each other and then they choose the property also because of their digital reach. And we believe we're going to see much more of this moving forward. But a lot of brands understand obviously the value of of digital reach. They they fight every day for their own digital reach. And if they can if they see that this property also has digital footfall, not only physical footfall, but also digital footfall, and that they can harvest from that digital footfall under the same principle as they do in the physical footfall, then that just adds up very nicely on their side. And then they typically say, yes, we're going to go here because you have two assets off me, not just one. Oh, interesting. Well, one interesting dynamic that I've been tracking over the last couple of years in particular is some of these developers like Simon and Brookfield are actually making brand acquisitions. What do you think about that? Well, it's certainly interesting as a market dynamic and sort of as the business model evolves and maybe points to 
to certain sort of phases of what kind of challenges the industry has been through the last few years as well. But I mean, it, it wouldn't really work long term if them all owned all their own clients kind of thing. But to do some interesting, let's say, projects where they work with individual brands or even own individual brands, I feel that sort of enriches the business model and gives a foundation to evolve the business model as well, not at least to the benefit of all other tenants, given they get other kind of insights than they do by not engaging in that way. But I don't see that as a sustainable path for the for the bigger part of the industry. Yeah, well, and it would seem to add additional value to those acquisitions either way, I mean, to have that digital expansion piece. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, there are not many businesses in the world that they can sort of ignore digital. I like to say that mall industry is to some extent privileged because digital is not like a takeover game for malls like it has been for music industry, for photography industry, and so on. There are many industries which have just been taken over by digital that's not the case with, with the mall industry because uh, it's the combination of the two, which is the interesting thing. But that has also probably resulted in the mall industry not being the most lean when it comes to digital because they probably felt they didn't have to do things. It was kind of nice to nice to do, not need to do. But I see that changing, obviously, from one year to the next. And I can't find executives in the industry now, which I probably could five years ago, that would, would sort of tell me that, oh, they didn't think digital would be too relevant for their physical mall business. But I think I've it's just a long time since I last met the industry executive who, who sort of said that. They all say digital is a substantial part of our business and it has to be. We've just kicked off, but there's a tremendous upside for the future. And I think it's also now very motivated by the experience we all had through the pandemic, after the pandemic, where the initial beginning of pandemic, everyone was like, oh, e-commerce is going to now take over absolutely everything. The physical store is, is uh, more dead than before. The opposite happened. People really flourished back to physical retail. And the outcome is, yes, it's a combination that people want. It's a combination that really makes sense, both in shoppers' daily lives and, and shopping habits, but not at least for the industry as well. Well, I'm sure it was a wake-up call too for some property owners to even know they could participate you know, because before it had always been just sort of ceded to the retailers themselves. So to me, it was eye-opening that there were capabilities like PlaceWise that completely changed the game and property owners can get a, you know, sort of a piece of the pie in the digital space. Yeah, that's true. I think many, many owners of malls have regarded digital to be something that tenants do and that they don't really need to relate to. But then again, as uh, time evolves, as consumer preferences change and the consumer voice is, is clearer than ever, of course, because they have many ways of expressing their, their voice compared to, to back in the day. So it's if you don't engage in digital at all as a mall today, you're kind of ignoring the voice of the shopper because the shopper wants the combination. We've been surveying this with, with US shoppers as well to sort of get data to back our plans or at least determine our plans. So we know that the shopper expects a digital component from the mall, but at the same time, they're saying, on average, the experience is very similar to the experience 10 years ago. But retail has changed a lot. Their daily consumption of digital has changed dramatically. So where is the mall in this evolution rather than a revolution when it comes to digital? But it's a step-by-step thing. You have to start engaging. You have to serve your shoppers in digital because that's where they spend a lot of their time. And if you don't, you're just losing out both on attention, but not at least on engagement. And that means shopping. Well, and you're a global company. You work with companies all over the world. 
So are there any particular markets that you see as being leaders when it comes to digitizing mall experiences, those that maybe are a little further ahead? Well, when we look at our global client base, I would probably say that the big APAC developers have probably to date sort of invested the most in digital. They have for several years seen it as an important part of their offering and they're very focused on loyalty programs, which we see clients in Europe and US being less focused on, which which is kind of fine. It's down to the nature of uh, all the cultural dynamics of uh, the shopper base you actually serve. But in APAC, people are very oriented about gaining points and there's a lot of gamification in those programs as well. But that means in nature, they become pretty comprehensive. They become very tech savvy as such, meaning they are more demanding to deliver because there's always a lot of typical partners involved, which also means for us additional technical and data integrations. So they've been a slightly ahead of the curve. My sort of reading of the US market is that initially they were very early because as the smartphones came, we all had access to apps. US was the market where most malls did apps in some nature. And then they experienced that apps alone didn't really make a huge difference. So a lot of them aborted apps at the time. And I think that kind of stuck for a while where where a lot of industry people said, we tried this and that, but it didn't really work. So we're going to do less of that in the future. But now we're talking about very different things. I mean, shopping mall digital is not an app. Yes, there might be an app in the mix, but the digital scope is, first of all, a data foundation where you accumulate data as much as you can. And you want to attribute that data as much as you can on individual consumer profiles, because then you can actually influence people to come more often and shop more. And that's why you need that handshake. And that's why you want to look for ways of incentivizing that initial handshake as much as you can. And then we sort of say that app is just a channel. You need to relate to all digital channels because you want to optimize the outcome of all your efforts, meaning whatever the consumer prefers, that's where you want to expose them with with your content. And we still see programs around the world which are actually the same as an app. So they anchored everything they did in a single app. And we like to say that's extremely risky because who knows the consumer preference uh, towards apps in five years, 10 years from now. And to a large extent, that will be determined by Google and Apple and so on because it's it's hinged on their technical development. End of day, if you have a data approach saying, okay, my digital reach is X because I have X amount of people in my database, then that's your asset for the future. No one can take that away from you. And you just leverage that towards any kind of digital channel the, the shopper prefers or any kind of interaction they prefer in the future. But you're... You own your digital reach as you own the the physical reach where you have your property. Wow, that's a really good point. Just looking ahead to even the future of apps and how relevant they will be and having your data in a more stable environment. So I end every interview with one question and I'll pose it to you now, Peter. What's next? Yeah, so there's a lot to come. When you talk about digital and technology, we've always just seen the big beginning. That's the fascinating thing and that's fantastic for all. For malls, what we regard to be extremely important is to enable them to become part of the e-commerce economy. Because today, on on average, typically everything related to e-commerce, let's let's just call it 20% of all retail spending is e-commerce. Then you still have 80% in physical retail. But the e-commerce number or or share of total is is growing. And at a certain time, they will converge being sort of 50-50. Some estimate that to be in the year of, of 2050 or, or something, but that doesn't really matter. E-commerce will keep growing and it will 
grow to the expense of physical to some extent and maybe to a large extent. So today, everything related to e-commerce is in the relationship between the brands, the tenants and the shoppers. And typically or practically always, that revenue is excluded from the leasing agreements at the shopping center. There have been initiatives saying, let's get paid for Halo effects. If you have a store at my mall, you are more visible in your local area, meaning you will get more attention also to the website from the people in this catchment area. And that's true. Physical presence serves really well as marketing and brand building. And that gives a positive effect on your, on your digital traffic as well. But there's never been a good example on how to integrate that into a leasing agreement with a shopping center. It has to be more specific. You can't sort of pay someone because they maybe give you an uplift on their website. So what we believe is the ultimate position of a mall of the future is to actually then also become a digital marketplace. They've always been physical marketplaces. Why not have the same ambition replicating the business model in digital? That would mean having all the physical products and services in the physical mall represented on the digital marketplace, where the shopper can then buy things across multiple retailers and brands with one single payment, one basket. They could choose to pick up at a centralized pickup point or get this delivered back home. So we already launched this as a platform and it's live a few places in the world today. But we also see that this is a very long-term track for the industry because it's, it's a big project to onboard retailers, first of all. So let's say you have 100 retailers, they will be in very different state when it comes to technical readiness to, to be part of this. And we as a tech provider have to relate to all kinds of data formats going on. But that's kind of what we took on. So we would be happy to have that conversation either way. But when you start sort of working through the list, get the first 10, the first 20, the next 30 and so on, it takes time. It's a long term project. Um, and I probably now would say that it's going to be five to 10 years out before these digital marketplaces as malls really make a difference to the total share of sales at the mall. But if we go back to the starting point today, the mall has 0% of their sales or then also leasing income from e-commerce. There's a gap in the market because 20% of shopping is already happening there and the gap will, will increase. So it's urgent for the industry to get on this train, to be part of the e-commerce economy. And gradually, they will gain 1%, 2%, 3%. And hopefully, one day, they will have the same share of both sales and leasing revenue from digital versus physical as the shopper spending between physical and digital. And that, in my world, is the true definition of a future-proof shopping mall. Wow, mall as marketplace. It makes all kinds of sense. And this has just been such a great conversation on an overlooked opportunity and one that obviously keeps continuing to evolve in some really exciting ways. So thank you so much for being here, Peter, and helping us understand the real potential here. And I can't wait to see all of this come to life at a mall near me. Thanks. And again, thanks for having me. And yeah, look out for the next digital thing at your mall. You bet. And on that note, we'll wrap up this episode of Speakerman Speaks Retail. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe through your favorite podcast platform. And in the meantime, you can follow me on LinkedIn, Carol Speakerman, and on Twitter at Retail Expert, X-P-E-R-T. And you can check out my media updates and speaking gigs at speakermanretail.com. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I'll see you next time. <music>